Hi again, everybody. It's me, J.R. Mann. Welcome to another edition of your Life's Work podcast. Big treat on the big show. Kirsten Lindquist, author, television personality, adoptive mom, stellar wife. I mean, there's nothing that she's doing that's not hitting it out of the park right now, and you're going to enjoy this conversation. Her new book, thematically, is about the waiting periods of life and about what we're doing with them. And whether it's relationship strife, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's you know kids and family and career, uh, e- even dealing with huge sorrow in our lives. It's really about how we're finding peace inside of these waiting periods, if not also the simple movement to next season. So jo- join us for this one. You're going to love it. This book, for the record, is not airy-fairy, esoteric, spiritual stuff, man. This is anchored in some good wonderful hardened cement of practicality and she does that she gives you the practicality to really help you see what's happening not only in your own waiting period but again what next season looks like so listen i'm not gonna bore you here's kirsten good morning oh you're so sweet with your good mornings (laughs) oh it is a good morning jay just called me Oh, you're damn right. See, that's what I like. That's the way everyone should answer a phone call from me. Yeah, but let's be honest how I usually answer calls. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello. What? What? What do you want? Um, okay, I'm rolling. You know, I like Fantastic. to I, I like to do that. I don't I don't uh I I don't like to not you know, be recording something that could, because I worry that we're going to miss something funny. <laughs> because we're not usually funny? Well, there's that. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. Where's my crown for acting like everything is fine? Subtitle, Royally Surviving Life's Waiting Periods. Your new book. Can we can we we can officially say this is your second book? My second book. Dude, that's like what? Like most people just dream about writing a book, but you're getting it done. That's what you are. Good job on this one. This one's a really fantastic book. Well, thank you very much. I had great influence from somebody that I know on the phone with me. Well, appreciate that. All right, let's let's jump in. First off, um this book about the waiting periods, like tell everybody what a waiting period is. Like, cause, cause like I, you know, the, you know, the title, if you see Kirsten's book, the it's her managing 5,000 children at her feet in all of life's business. And then the, you know, trying to maintain some kind of dignity. <laughs> Um, True. All, all inside of these waiting periods or these seasons that we go through. Tell everybody what a waiting period is. Well, you know, the idea for the book started because I went through a, a, I went through a very long waiting period waiting for my, my first child um, who we adopted. Um, and my, my first book was kind of about all that. But um, I, I found myself in this just tremendous wait. And every day I was, and in sorrow and in agony and like, when is this going to be over? And God, can we get out of this? And just waiting, 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 waiting for, for what? For it to be complete, for me to be happy, for this season to end. 
And then, and so that's where the idea for the book started was how do you survive a really tremendous hard wait? But as I was writing the book, I realized that it's not about these huge waiting periods that we are going through, because it can be. It can be waiting for a child, waiting for a spouse, waiting for an illness to be over. But it can also be just the everyday waiting periods that we're in, because I truly believe that life is one waiting period to the next. And it could be something small, just waiting for what is going to happen next. It could be waiting for, um, you know, for your your friends to finally come back and you guys have a good relationship again. It could be smaller weights. It doesn't have to be huge weights. I just feel like life really is one waiting period to the next. Yeah, w- without a doubt. Like, that's wonderful. And then in and around the waiting period sits our faith. And so... Like, as there, and again, like, your book kind of does this through, like, what do you got, like, 100 chapters in this book? <laughs> there's, like, there's, when, I, when I was when I was writing my first book, somebody, my, my editor was like, um, small chapters, we like small chapters. And legitimately, I think it's the first book did, first round, had, like, 87 chapters. And she's like, I didn't mean that small of chapters. Yeah, okay. So, 25, there's 25 tw- yeah. chapters. But they're not, these are like really wonderful little nuggets of wisdom. So you and I were texting yesterday, and I'm like, hey, when we do the podcast, you bring three, I'll bring three, and we'll like, because you've got like really great nuggets of wisdom in here. So if there's one kind of capsulizing idea in our faith in the waiting period, what would that be? And I know that's probably pretty hard, right? It would probably take us an hour to unwrap yeah. that question. But But is there one kind of theme... Like, as I read the book, yeah. I, I saw a couple themes. Like, what's the one theme that you were holding on to as you were writing about these waiting periods while keeping, you know, kind of your quote-unquote shit together? <laughs> what, 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 is, what is one of those, <laughs> what is one of those themes? Uh, I think it's an imagery. I think it's an imagery of you're in a waiting room, and you cannot open the door and get out of that waiting room until you get real with God and he shows you and you discover what is in that room that you need to learn, whom you need to help, um, how you need to find peace in whatever weight you're in. Because what's going to happen is eventually you're going to get out of that waiting room. You're going to open up the door and you know, what's going to be on the other side, another waiting room. (laughs) So I think the over overarching theme is you have to find the peace, the pockets of happy. You have to serve others. You have to be comfortable with yourself. You have to figure out what God wants you to do in that room. And I imagine putting up drapes and getting new furniture and figuring out how you can be comfortable in that way before you can go into the next one, because he cannot take you successfully into the next way of your life. Cause that could be harder until you found something in the one you're in right now. That's good. Okay, that's, yeah, that's good. Look at you. You're you're kind of amazing there. That's fantastic. Okay, so it turns out that we are in a giant, and not collectively, like as a a unitive consciousness, we are globally (laughs) in a massive waiting room sitting around COVID-19. Is there one thing you tell people during lockdown, pandemic, is, is there one theme that you're holding on to? Because, you know, I mean, we got to touch this a little bit. Is there one thing you're telling people right now? Well, if anybody knows me, my my purpose when I dig deep into why am I here on Earth, it is to make faith come alive in others. So my overarching theme is in this weight, in this horrible weight, which could be the the biggest and the longest and the most traumatic that many people will ever experience in their life 
it is to cling to Jesus. Obviously, that's the meaning of the book. That is why I'm here. If you try to boil it down to maybe like when people talk to me and the things that I'm hearing from others and, and what do I tell people over and over and over again how to survive this way, a lot of it goes back to total body wellness for me because your mind isn't going to be able to handle this. Your heart's not going to be able to handle this unless you're really taking care of yourself. So a lot of the book is devoted to health and wellness, and that is a big part of your relationship with the Lord and how you're going to survive waiting period. Yeah, that's great. And, and you know, again, it's like the phases of waiting periods, right? There's like this crazy uncertainty. Then you kind of get used to it. Then all of a sudden you're lonely. Then it comes back. Then it comes back. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's no, good. Loneliness. That's a that's a big one. Loneliness is 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 bad and it's getting worse. Like that's a huge theme in this waiting period right now is loneliness. Yeah, I I cannot tell you the uh, somebody asked me the other day the like what I'm what I'm seeing as a as an evolution in COVID and right now man it is all about how people are dealing with that. I just got off the phone with the client the other day like dude, lonely, lonely, lonely. So it's and and there's like a room full of people, right? So like you know, the idea is even if there's people around you, you can still, you can still, you know, march Absolutely. through those. Only. Yeah. Okay. And I feel Go that. Ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded by, you know, I'm a family of five. I'm taking care of my mother right now. She's at my house. You know, I, I, I still go into work and there are people, not a lot of people, but, um, and I still, you can feel lonely in whatever you're going through because you're dealing with it internally, but you're not dealing with, it with everybody around you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's, uh, I was reading history of pandemics and global insanity the other day. And I mean, it's, you know, obviously. That's a thing? That's a book? That's oh, a, a, yeah. A, a Wikipedia? What is that? Well, I mean, there's like articles and books <laughs> and stuff. I, you know, I tend to obsess on stuff. And this like global pandemic, like everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's in the same waiting period. Like it's fascinating for me because to rely on our faith or to rely on something outside of ourselves and really join it sometimes is the only thing you can do. I mean, it's the only, it's the only, because people are like, what the hell do I do? What the hell do I do? You know, so you lean on your faith a little bit. But do you really, I had a hard time from the very beginning of this pandemic with, uh, we're all in this together. I didn't know if that was the right verbiage for this. Cause I don't, I feel like we're all in this apart. Yeah. I, so, I, you know, well, I can I, listen. I can see that. I can understand that. I guess on my side of the fence, the way I look at it, it like again, like unit of consciousness, like we're all joined together in 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 a unifying energy. In this case, it's a disease. Um, so I tend to I tend to think the fear that I have, or the or the uncertainty that crawls up my spine at night that keeps me awake at times tends to be somebody else's, you know, sitting in Peru. And I'm just picking on Peru. <laughs> Don't pick on Peru. I've never Those been Peruvians to I've never been to Peru, but I would suspect there's somebody like me freaking out in kind. <laughs> I don't think there are short white redheads no with freckles. No. I don't think so. Not uh, You don't see you don't know. So that I'm going to have to <laughs> Okay. All right, so so you know, I told you to pick three little nuggets of wisdom. I picked three nuggets of wisdom. I'm going first because it's my podcast. It's mm-hmm. my podcast, so I'm gonna go first. All right, so in chapter four, 
Your title is Have You Prayed About It Yet? Um, and I like like so I love the 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 I love the verbiage right away. Have you prayed about it? Because for me, there's like a big dot 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 there yet. Um, and you talk about your mom. You give us the pee story I with do. your mom, um, which is funny. <laughs> tell us tell us about the pee story with your mom, and then the nugget for me in there um, is you know this this whole idea that we are praying for knowledge and wisdom. And you do it, you do it great through not only that story, but then you bring up Solomon too. But this whole idea of praying for knowledge and wisdom, I just thought was, and again, the first time I read this through, I was like, oh, you're hitting, you're hitting things out of the park. Because we have a tendency to freak out in our prayers, but we're really looking for a couple things. Tell us about that. Tell us about the peace story and then wind into, (laughs) wind into knowledge and wisdom. (laughs) Go from your mother peeing to Solomon asking for knowledge. Yes. That, that, that's, a, that's a jump point. Yes. Um, so my mother has dementia. She has for 11 years now, 12 years now. Uh, and she overdosed on my father's meds. She actually took my father's meds, and I had to rush her to the hospital. And um, if you've ever dealt with somebody who has Alzheimer's or dementia, asking them to do things is difficult, and them understanding you is difficult. So we had to get her to pee in a cup at the hospital. And that was so, so, it's worse than a toddler. So I'm in the bathroom with her and I'm, you know, begging and doing this and doing that. And what came to my mind was the fact that when we're in these crises, 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 I don't, sometimes I don't have words. You got it. Um, We're constantly trying to figure out what we can do. Okay. What do we need to do? Here we do this. Where we do this. Here we do that. And we forget that the very, very, very first thing we need to do is pray. We need to pray about it. So I'm in the bathroom in a hospital with my mother, and she's on the toilet, and I'm praying, Jesus, Lord, please, God, let her pee. Please, Lord, just let her pee. Bring the pee. Uh, and it, it, I, at the time, I was obviously praying for her to pee, and then I started praying for her to be okay and all of that. And really what, what, I, what I needed to be praying for was the knowledge and the wisdom to handle the situation. Yeah. So first and foremost, whatever situation you're in, pray about it first. I have this sign at the top of my stairs um, in our house that says, have you prayed about it yet? Because, yeah, of course God wants all your big prayers, like the prayers for health and things like that. But he also wants to have an open line of communication with you all day long. And that is praying constantly. And I'm, I'm amazed by the women in my Bible study and that I minister to who are always like, I don't know how to pray because I feel like my prayers aren't as important as my friend who has cancer or my prayers aren't as important and they aren't as big and God just, you know, doesn't really care about such and such. And my answer to that is, you know, the Lord is your father. If you, you think of your children and you turn to, and they turn to you and every single thing they say you want to hear, every need they have, you want to hear. There is nothing too small to bring to your Lord. So it should be a constant stream of prayers. You should pray first, not last, not second, not third, not try and figure out how to control a situation and then pray about it, but pray about it first. And in that, you might find that he is going to give you the knowledge and the wisdom that's something completely different than what you were praying for. Yeah. yeah. So then, then you get Solomon, who, when he is granted, you know, when he's, when he's thinking about what to pray for, what he ends up praying for is the smartest prayer in the Bible, probably, I don't know. I've read it, but... 
you would know better than I do, <laughs> but I think it's the smartest prayer ever. It's like being granted three wishes. What do you wish for? And we're like, oh, more wishes, money, 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 you know, and he prays for knowledge and wisdom, because if you have knowledge and wisdom, you can handle anything, anything. because you are going to get the peace of God that comes to you. So as opposed to praying for my mom to get better, I needed to pray for the knowledge and the wisdom to handle whatever happened if she died. If she wasn't okay, the knowledge and the wisdom would take care of everything because it comes from God. And that's really what we need. You know, it's great, too, because that theme and a lot of people just don't get it. You know, there's uh, that theme runs through scriptures. It not only runs through scriptures in Jewish wisdom tradition or Christian wisdom tradition, but it lands in other other wisdom traditions, too. This idea of praying for wisdom, for praying for knowledge. And again, it's it's th- throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. I love the whole Solomon thing because again, like you describe it like genie and like he's rubbing a genie in the bottle and the, you know God's going to give him. And he, you know, as he thinks about it, he's like, "Yo, I want the knowledge and the wisdom to be a great leader, to be able to really help the people, do what the people need to do." And in this case, God's work, love, uh, you know, charity, compassion, forgiveness, like all these things are a part of that knowledge and wisdom. You say in the book, there are no silly, selfish, or simple prayers. And I, I'm like, yeah, man, because we, I hear from people that are like, oh, I don't want to pray that because it doesn't seem right. I'm like, no, you can't screw prayer up. No, there's absolutely no way to do it wrong. You no just way. pray. Yeah. That's, no. Yeah. Yeah. The wrong way to do it is to not pray. <laughs> the, the the wrong way to do it is to ignore all the stuff around you. That that is the wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Well, see, I mean, right there, solid little nugget, and that's only chapter four. I mean, come on, what are you doing? That's like that's like <laughs> uh, you could you could stop there. All right, your turn. Go. Give me something that you loved about oh, the book. You're not going to do all three. I'm. Oh, you want me to do all three do first? One now. No, no I, I don't know. It's your podcast. Listen, you do you. Do you. I, yeah, I make the damn rules here. You go next. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of my favorite um, themes or chapters in the book is um, when I talk about eat, sleep, move. There's three main components to how you're going to take care of yourself in these waiting periods, and it's how you're eating how you're sleeping, and how you're moving. So I devote quite a bit of time talking about making sure that you're feeding your body the right way, making sure that you are sleeping, because that's so important. And in this waiting period specifically, I feel like this is such a great one for the pandemic that we're going through, because people, especially in the beginning, um, and I am absolutely on that boat, like baking cookies all the time, and you know, sleeping in maybe, but then going to bed really, really late and, uh, you know, ignoring any type of physical activity, just sitting there in front of the TV, binging on news or Netflix or whatever it is. Uh, so how you eat, how you sleep and how you move are a big part of it. But, you know, I'm not somebody who's like, well, you have to get up at this time and you have to work out for an hour and a half and you have to eat only broccoli. Although I do have a chapter in the book called broccoli and tequila, just saying, because broccoli is a powerhouse. Very important. It's all about it's all about giving yourself grace. So, especially when you're going through a waiting period, small little tweaks. You don't have to overhaul your entire life. Just small little tweaks and give yourself grace. If you don't, 
work out for an hour and a half. If you do binge on Netflix one night and have a whole box of Cheetos, and Cheetos are great, that's perfectly fine, but try and make the movement to going to bed earlier so you can wake up earlier and have a conversation with your Lord and take some morning time and some prayer time. Um, Try to wake up in the morning and Get in a little bit of exercise so that your your good endorphins are going and you start to feel better about yourself. Try to eat your three servings of vegetables before 3 p.m. Um, because that really is the building blocks to our health. So eat, sleep, move is a, is a big one for me that I try to talk to people about. And, and I feel like in this book, what I really wanted to do, it's, it's a book that I needed and it's a book that a lot of women, every woman in my life and in my Bible study really needed is I end every chapter with bullet points uh, that says, don't wait. And I give you, here's what I want you to do right now. Do this right now. Get up and go for a 10-minute walk. You know, go set your alarm a little bit earlier. Go to bed a little bit earlier. Put on blue light blocking glasses so that you can sleep better at night. Like, I, I, it's not just overall like, oh, here's an idea. I want people to have steps because what do I ask you all the time, JR, when we're on the phone? Okay, well, what do I do? Just tell me what to do. <laughs> you do, and, do and I know that there is a place, and there is a place I do all the time. And I know, and, and you're great because we balance each other out really well. You are a fantastic spiritual advisor. So you director. are great at helping me figure out, director, director, <laughs> figure out what to do. You're not going to necessarily always tell me what to do, which is great. But I am not that. I am just a girl who writes books and talks on TV a lot. And so I want to be able to tell people, here's what's worked for me. Here's what works for millions of women just like you. Try this. Do this right now. I want actionable steps to help me move the needle. Yeah. And so one of them is taking care of this vessel that that God has given you, eating better, sleeping more, and moving. Yeah, I, and those are great. And I love, in, in you know, the way the book is laid out, too, is wonderful because there's not enough practicality. There's a lot of books, and, you know, I'll just pick on a few people for a moment, not that I do that. But, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of spiritual books, a lot of Christian-themed books that don't do what you did in this book, which is end with th- these great nuggets of practicality, which, you know, kind of really wanted me to do the podcast and just give everybody some practicality. The one thing I will say about your, you know, to be, to be able to physically or mentally or spiritually, you know, really hold practicality, and I tell you this too, is to set metrics and then cut them in half. So, like, in COVID, if you're like, oh, I'm going to work out five days a week, like, cut that thing to 2.5 days a week and then have a manageable yeah. goal so you're not you're not failing. Because part of the waiting room, and you tell me, part of the waiting room is sometimes you just feel like you're failing at whatever the hell it is you're waiting for. And sometimes, exactly. sometimes it's as easy as just cutting stuff in half so you can actually do something, no? Well, it- and I, that's why I say give yourself grace. Our Lord is giving us grace nonstop. Why are you not giving yourself grace? Why are you not forgiving yourself or letting yourself off the hook? You have these great intentions, and that's wonderful. And, and, and hopefully, I pray that you read the book and you do some of the steps that I do, which is waking up in the morning and, and writing what you're grateful for and doing some goal setting. But if you don't hit those goals every day, you can't then at the end of the day be like, I suck. You have to understand that you're trying. It's a practice. It's, you know, people ask me all the time, like, 
I will I will give these talks and I'll write things and, and they'll be like, oh, I mean, I wish I could be you and I wish I could do what you do. And I'm like, you guys, just because I'm talking about it doesn't mean that I perfect it. This is a constant practice. I don't think I'm going to probably perfect anything <laughs> in the book before I die. It's a practice and you have to give yourself grace when you don't necessarily meet every goal that you're setting. Yeah, that's good, man. You know, my... Uh... Uh, guy I had on the podcast a couple weeks ago, Ched Myers, he has that whole line about practicing justice or being able to practice what we take from the wisdom tradition of Jesus into our lives. And that's a great, like, if we could be taught that, if the American church could stop some of their bullshit and just teach practice, oh my gosh, would we be so better off than pining for perfection or while we're in the waiting periods killing ourselves over not being perfect. I mean, that's uh, that's good living right there, Kirsten Lindquist. It's the same thing. It's, 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 it's the same. It's true because the overarching theme I feel like I've been getting emails from women has been, I feel far away from God. I've kind of, like, no, I've been bad. I haven't <laughs> been good over the last 10 years. You right. know, and I'm like, oh, Lord, bad. Uh, don't use that word. Haven't we all? Um, you know, I, I'm not, I, you know, I don't think God's here for me. I don't know how to find him. I don't know how to talk to him. And, and once again, that is a practice. I do it all. I do it all the time. You've been teaching me, um, how to really pray in the morning and just sit in silence and pray. And it is so hard for me. And I've been working so hard on it. And I fail almost every day at trying to clear my head and just hear God. But I don't then turn around and go, ah, I suck and I'm bad and, God doesn't love me. I, you just keep trying. And in that trying and in that wanting to be closer to him, you are succeeding. It's very yeah. philosophical. No, <laughs> I, listen. Really, the thing that you're doing is getting, is, is actually you're succeeding by the thing that you're failing at. Yeah, 100%. 100%. We have to take our cues from some of the wonderful disciples like Simon Peter, you hear me talk about all the time. This was a guy that made every single possible Jesus mistake you could possibly make. And he was held up in a pu- very public forum, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> and, and I mean, he's the poster child for, for taking a metric and cutting it in half and having some empathy and grace and mercy for your human condition. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. So that's, that's The entire good. Bible is full of the, the, the biggest advocates for the Lord, the ones that he just, you know, completely put up on a pedestal and made the poster children for Jesus, killed people, cheated on people. I mean, these, everybody makes mistakes. Now I'm not saying you should go out there and start murdering and cheating on your husband, but (laughs) it's, he gives grace and, and you're going to fail and you've got to turn around um, and, and, and give yourself grace and just keep practicing. I'm going to get a t-shirt by the way. What'd you say? Jesus mistakes. Jesus yeah, mistakes. Jesus. The, yeah, Jesus. Mistakes. Jesus mistakes. I used I used to say that a long time ago. I, I wrote a book a million years ago that I think I I themed Jesus mistakes. <laughs> I I have made every Jesus mistake. Okay, um, my turn. Um, yeah. So I can't 
you know me well enough, and for those of you listen to this podcast, you know I'm not going to go too long without talking about sorrow because I think sorrow is one of the absolute main themes that we need to understand. You don't control sorrow. You don't get ahead of sorrow. You live with it, and you learn to really embrace it because on the other side of sorrow is always joy. Your chapter 12, The Lost Boy, literally had me in tears. In fact, if I think about it now enough, I'll probably start crying again. I'm 53. That's what we do. We cry, so everybody relax. Um, But, you know, this is about the loss. This is about the loss of children, not just a child. Um, and you say, uh, one of the thematic things that you did in the book, you, you have these little thematic things as you go, uh, paragraph to paragraph, which I love. You say sometimes anticipating the worst is more painful than the reality of actual, of it actually happening. And then the drop downs are like bad stuff happens to us or just misery or sorrow comes knocking on the door. And we do things like how did God let this happen? You know, you say, why did why did God let it happen? And you you do this through the telling uh, uh, of a miscarriage and then and then an adoption story gone gone wrong. Um, And I don't even know if we could say gone wrong because you you really you put me up against the wall and I'll let you tell the story because I'm just this is I get excited about this. Your you you did something with um, well, you tell the damn story. First off, tell me tell me a little bit about the sorrow of the miscarriage. And then roll into that adoption story because th- this is like, th- this is light. This is like foundational stuff that happens to every single one of us. And learning, learning to roll with the sorrow in these occasions is a big deal. Talk, please. I'm going to shut up. And right, and for me, um, the sorrow in my life, a lot of the huge sorrow has come around um, creating a family. And I want to make it very clear because some people will think, well, I have nothing in common with her. I wasn't infertile or I don't have children or I'm, you know, 60 or whatever. Um, and it do know that just because my story does revolve a lot around um, infertility and adoption, it's very, it's the same for everybody, whatever you're going through. So I um, had, took, it took us three years of miscarriages and trying to adopt to finally have our first child. And our second child was born five months later because I got pregnant through us. Through IVF, so it wasn't like, oh, you relaxed and had a baby. That didn't happen. Um, but we had two children five months apart. We had some embryos left over. Um, a few years later, we're like, we need to have a third child. Well, I specifically did. Um, we got pregnant through again assisted reproduction, and um, well, first we didn't, and then we, the next time we tried it, and we did, and I miscarried again. Um, so miscarried, miscarried was a big theme through through my life, and has been a. a it's been very, very hard for me, and I do counsel women a lot that they need to talk about it more because I do feel like it's a very quiet, hidden thing that we are ashamed of and we think we did something wrong, and that's absolutely not true. So after our last miscarriage, we decided to go back to adoption, um, and it was very, very prayerful, and we really felt like the Lord was leading us there, that we should. So when we were matched and we were with a woman who was pregnant with our son for um, about five months and we were very excited and we were giving everything and we were getting ready. We were also very, very careful. Um, So she was due at the end of January and the beginning of January, we finally told our two daughters um, who were like six at the time and we were, everybody was very excited. We had our bags packed and about a few days after we told our daughters, we get the, the woman who we had been supporting who was pregnant 
disappeared. And about a day later, she text, she sent a text that said um, to our adoption facilitator, tell Kirsten I'm sorry. Um, because, and so, and I knew, I knew from the minute I didn't hear her because I had been talking to her every single day. We had become very, very close. I was there when they revealed what the baby was going to be. I was close to the doctors. Um, so if you've never been a woman who's been through an adoption that way, you feel like you're pregnant. There is this anticipation and this waiting of the baby is coming in for five months. That's where I was with her. So when we lost that baby in January, that was worse than all of the physical miscarriages. Cause my miscarriages all happened around 10, 11 weeks. And this was five months in, and I had just told my children and we were completely ready. And we had, Oh, side note, spent $20,000, lost all of our money. Like it was gone. So I went into a very, very, very deep, sorrow then, but I didn't think I was going to be able to get out. I thought the first three years of infertility were bad. This was the worst of the worst. But I think the hardest part for me, to make me cry, was having to realize that her decision wasn't wrong. Mm. Because while what she did broke me and broke our family and the way that she did it, I don't know if it would have been better if she would have called me and tearfully said, I'm sorry, I need to keep this baby. Maybe that would have been better. But just disappearing and not talking to me and letting me tell my children was harder. But to choose to parent your child is never the wrong answer. Right. It was just right. when you are a family in waiting. So I have to continue to pray for her and pray for this 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 little boy who would be four and a half now, who um, you know was such a part of our family even before I even met him. So, but that led to months later kind of out of the blue when we thought everything was over and there was no way I could go through anything again like that. And we were shutting it down. Um, we got a call and three weeks later, our son was born. Um, and he was adopted from very close to us and has been, you know, the best thing ever. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that, those were, oh, those were, and, and, and that led to another waiting period. So, we, you know, we started that five months of waiting for, you know, I went through the miscarriage, waited to see if we were going to adopt, then went through the waiting period for our son who we lost. And then I went through this waiting period of having to be so deep in sorrow and just um, not sure I was going to be able to come out, out to the wait for our son for three weeks. And then I had to wait for 30 days for her to, to sign off her rights. And then I had to wait nine months to find the birth father. I mean, it's just, it's never ending. And I wouldn't be able to make it through those had I not had these tools. The the one thing you said in this chapter that literally put me on the floor, and and it and again, it this is this is a, just a deep movement between you and you and the divine. You say you say God didn't God didn't do this bad thing. He just enabled us to be able to do his work and his work. See, I'm starting to tear up right now because I get this shit like there's no <laughs> business. His work was to look back at birth mom and really and really pour forgiveness or pour understanding or empathy or human understanding on a mom who's atta- who's already attached to that child. And so you stand up in a like again, most people are going to be like like and you say it like there was a, a point of being incensed and upset, but you all of a sudden sit into a place in the sorrow that says, oh, my God, this is a mom. This is her child. 
uh, I'm doing the work. I'm loving her through her own pregnancy. You say I was her friend during her pregnancy. Like I have to see that. I have to understand that. It's not just I don't have this child. It's that I was able to help her through a season of her life that perhaps she really needed help through. I mean, that's like it's so deeply cutting in sorrow, but yet so mature in its loving. And again, I'm not propping you up. I'm propping how God moved you into that space and how you were willing to hold it. That's a big deal. Well, because, you know, in it's it's easier for us to be angry, right? It's so much easier for us to blame somebody and be angry. And don't get me wrong. Like we said, practice, give yourself grace. I was pissed at her, and I was angry, and I was sad, and I was stomping my feet, and it's not fair. But I also logically understood that, again, if my job here is on earth is to make faith come come alive in other people. And if my job here is to serve others for five months, she was on the streets. We put her in a house. We gave her food. We were able to give her prenatal care. We were able to enable her to become a mother and take care of her child. Um, And some people who don't necessarily aren't spending the time in the ward and do not have the divine in them might look at that as like, gosh, Kirsten, you just spent $20,000 and lost it all because you're the one who made it possible for her to keep her kid. But you, you can't, you'll, you'll go crazy if you do that. Yeah, you'll you fry have to yourself. turn it around to you. Yeah. I, I served her. I yeah. did God's work. I took care of her and allowed her to become a mother. And yes, in the end, would it not what I had been praying for and what I thought the Lord wanted? That's the other thing. You think you know what the Lord has, has planned. Because I'm like, dude, I don't call God dude. I mean, that's <laughs> probably disrespectful. But, I, but, I do dude, every now and then. You, <laughs> you said, you said, we prayed and we heard you say, this is your, this is the adoption you need to do. This is, you need to jump into this. And I'm going in my head going, you said to do this. And, and here we just lost this baby. And, and he's like, well, yeah, I said do it, but not for the outcome that you wanted, yeah, not for what you had planned. My plan was this. And the other thing that I, I don't know if it's in that chapter, but I say it at some point, and I think it's very important because other people will look at that situation and go, well, look, you have your beautiful son, Ben. Um, everything happens for a reason. And I hate that. I hate everything happens for a reason. I don't. Because that diminishes your pain and it makes it sound like, Lauren, aren't you glad you went through that so you got to hear? No. Do I wish I didn't have to go through that pain and sorrow? Absolutely. You know, do I wish I didn't have to lose babies? Absolutely. It's that everything happens, not everything happens for a reason, but things happen and you are the reason. God is working in you to help others. It's not that should happen and he wants you to be in pain because he doesn't want you to be in pain ever. The that listen it it th- this chapter was uh was great and and um it just it thematically goes back to how we are responding to other people's needs and sometimes God forbid Americans do this sidestep their own neediness <laughs> like you know I was telling somebody the other day like in the town that I grew up in. A Burger King moved in when I was like six or seven, and I was fascinated that the fact that you could go eat, go through the drive-thru and get food in like three minutes, but it also set up something in my life about this immediacy of my needs. Like, well, I can get my needs met in a, in a second and a half, and sometimes sidestepping our own neediness into the needs of another becomes the maturity to hold sorrow, becomes the maturity to see 
love, joy on the other side of something. Now, again, to your point, it takes a little bit of time in a waiting room of stomping around and being pissed at, at what just happened because your expectations came off the rails hard on that one. But holy mature response as you emerge going, it's God, it's God's love that ended up capitalizing that that moment. Like it literally is God's love that capitalized that moment between you and birth mom. I mean, that's that's just it's great, man. It's great. I don't listen, I don't want to give away all the secrets of that chapter. I feel like we just did. So for those of you who are buying this book today, skip that one. Because we just told you everything. <laughs> Oh, but there's more. There's more involved. Wait till you see what really happens. I, yeah, I know. I got you. I got you. I got you. I'm just. I'm. I'm making the publisher nervous right now. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> um. Okay. Okay. I'm done with that. I don't mean to slide it under the table, but I'm only doing an hour because you know you know how people are. We're we we know how people are. Okay. Your turn. Yeah, and you and I can talk forever. Okay. So I, I think that this this flows very well into my one of my top three which is serving others um because that is one of the easiest not easiest there's nothing easy here one of the quickest ways you're going to get out of this weight is if you figure out who you can serve in it and taking that taking the focus off of you and what you want and what you need and what you're you're i mean again be in your sorrow there's a there's a time for everything but at some point you need to turn around and be like, okay, I'm not going to get out of this until I take the focus off of me a little bit. So serving others. And it's important to understand with everything in this book, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be, okay, I'm going to go, you know, serve five days a week at a soup kitchen. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, I'm going to go on a missions trip. <laughs> I think I talk about it in the book. It's like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going, I'm leaving the country. I'm going to go serve in Uganda. <laughs> And I think you said you would be like the worst missionary on earth, Hirsten. Please don't do that. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Um, but it doesn't have to be huge. It, it could be opening the door for somebody. It could be text messaging friends. It could be writing hand, handwritten letters. It could be asking somebody um, what they need prayer for. It could be praying for somebody. Take the focus off you and serve others. Serve, serve, serve. Serve as hard as you possibly can because serving is and make it a a goal every day when you're writing things in the morning in fact when i um when i journal in the morning during my prayer time i write seven things i'm grateful for i write 10 things 10 big prayers and i pray advanced prayer so i pray prayers that god has already answered because i know they're in his hands and they're not in my control um so i pray for things in that manner and then i write what i'm excited about what could stress me out how i'm going to react to that and whom or who I can serve. Every single day, I write down somebody I can serve. And if I have no idea, I, I just pick somebody out of a hat, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to text that person, or I'm going to call that person. Every single day, make service a part of your life. Yeah, that's great, man. You know, one of my one of my big themes in, in my spiritual direction practice is just that, getting outside yourself, attacking the, the needs of another. We're seeing this as a cultural response too right now because Jesus was so great at teaching people out of oppression or helping people practice getting out of oppression justice right and th- so there's a need going on right now in our country and to be able to really lean into listening knowing hearing people means getting outside of yourself 
And um, I think that's that's rock star stuff. What are some practical because I because there's people in my life. I know there's people in your life and even even me on occasion, um, not occasion every day. As I think about people's needs, is there one practicality that people can practice in the in the service of others? Is there just one that's just like I love this idea of texting a friend like I love like it's so simple and easy. But what like what are you looking for when you text, you know, when you text Billy or when you text Susie? Because I'm sure you have a Billy and a Susie in your life. What are you saying? How are you flushing that out? Are you just connecting? What are you doing there? I think it depends on the person, but a lot of the a lot of the people in my life, it, it usually and again, if it's somebody that I'm writing down, that's come to mind. I I feel like if they've come to mind, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, for sure telling me that person needs. So I don't know why, but that person popped into my head. So I will phrase it just like that. I will text somebody and be like, or call somebody and be like, Hey, you know what? You, you popped into my head this morning when I was, you know, when I was uh, saying some prayers or I was thinking about you and I just feel like the Lord's telling me, you know, there's something you need me to pray for, or how can I help you? And if there's somebody who is a, a baby Christian or isn't really there, I might use less Jesus Lord words. Um, but if they are somebody who is a part of my, you know, circle of believers, I'm going to lay heavy into God and put the onus on him. Like he said, you need something, girl, tell me what it is. Cause it's usually girl. Um, so that's usually, that's usually how it goes. And, and I think that we are, and we're definitely, we get nervous about doing that. Like, oh, what are they going to think about us if we reach out to them? And especially if it's somebody who you know is in pain, who has gone through a death or an illness or lost a job, we're like, well, I'm not going to bother them. I'm not going to, you know, they, uh, you know, they're probably having a hard time. I'm not, you know, I don't know what to say. Just say something. They don't have to respond. That's not your job. Your job is just to reach out, you yeah. know, and, and then let God do it. It's the same thing with strangers. And that's always been the hardest for me is, is I'll feel God being like, hey, say something to that person. I'm like, dude, I'm good. There I am calling God dude again. What's wrong with me? California. I blame California. Um, yeah. I'm like, Amen. really? You don't want me to say something to this, this, this stranger? What do you mean? But it's not me. It is the Lord. The Lord's working in that person. You're just the vessel. He's just te- teeing you up. He will do the work. It's not about you. So it doesn't matter what you say. Just say something because God's working in you to get to that person. Yeah, it's about listening. It's about we go back to that. And I, you know, I heard you say it. It's like the practicality becomes you being able to listen a little bit more deeply to what's happening inside of you as you roll through consciously thinking about needs, whether that's needs in the community, whether that's individual needs, whether that's family needs. Maybe, maybe, God forbid. It's spiritual needs. Um, you know, um, I love one of my favorite things to do is to uh, is to say, hey, what can I pray for you? Um, and, it, yeah. and again, like to your point about putting the onus back onto the divine, I think that's a great movement because it settles people into their own hearts and really asks what they want, need and desire when it comes to God. Jesus. Um, you know go ahead. I was just going to say something that my pet peeve, <laughs> here I am complaining. Um, I do. do that a lot too. What can I pray for you? And I, and I find that nine out of 10 women, especially in my Bible study, uh, these women are like, oh, I'm fine. That's the first chapter of my book, by the way. I'm fine. Nothing's good. You know, 
and they and they're like, I would you pray for my sister's brother's wife because she's really doing this, and I'm like, no, 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 no. What do you, you want? What do you want? I need, and, and they they feel like they're, and they might have big needs, but they feel like their needs aren't important. And I go back to, yes, it is. I'm asking you about you. God wants to know about you. It's so hard for us to turn the lens on us sometimes. I mean, some people are great at it. They're like, well, I need this, 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 and this. But I, I feel like a lot of women are always like, it's fine. And then they push it off to somebody else. And I want you to pray. God wants, even though he knows, he still wants you to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's the identity of true self. You know, a lot of times in prayers, particularly when you get to silence, like as a mature landscape, as you move into silence and stillness, and you've heard me say this, and as you move into stillness and silence, as you really start to go deep to go out, you really start um, to really develop the true self and to really start identifying wants, needs, and desires. So that's a that's a big deal. Okay. Next one, my turn. Uh, Passage of Time, chapter 1178. Um, I'm just kidding. Again, I'm making the publishers nervous. That's all I'm doing. I'm waiting for an email after we publish this thing. Okay, you talk about rest versus waiting. um, And you say something I think is great. You say, by constantly comparing ourselves to those around us and trying to get to the next quote-unquote chapter... We are skipping over our time of rest. And, of course, this is something I beat on all my clients about because rest becomes, you know, you've heard me say this, rest is the revolution. Like, this is the, but again, we're not talking about lounging, sitting on the side of the patio with a bikini on. <coughs> and well, I am, actually. That's, that's my rest. Yeah, well, well, maybe some of us, <laughs> maybe some of us think about it differently. That's all. So, like, you, the, the end of this chapter, I think, is really fantastic because, I mean, it's, it spoke to me. Your, your bullet points, your, your real practicality, your stop comparing, clear the list, find your happy place in order to really sit into the rest, I think is great. Give me your, give me your wonderful wisdom on, on this rest versus waiting. Um, well, first of all, rest, I think, is the hardest part in my life It's to have that rest to, to clear the fear and the worry and to just rest and not, and, and to, um, not constantly feel like I have to produce in terms of like, do something, cross something off a list. So it's really, really hard for me to do that. So this chapter is super needed for me, but I feel like passage of time is because we're constantly comparing ourselves like, Oh, that person is 50 and they've already done this. And I haven't, or that person is, you know, know, that person has three grandbabies and I, you know, have none yet. Or that person has been married for 10 years and I'm still dating. Like we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. So the passage of time gets really, really hard. And then we feel like we have to do, 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 do to get to that point. Cause that's where we're supposed to be. Where, where really a, you're, Somebody else's timeline has no bearing on yours. Your timeline is between you and God. And really, it's up to God. And you have to figure out how to sit in that and wait for him to tell you what's next and to be able to get to the next spot. So the way the way, the ways that you do that is stop your comparing and stop the busyness. So for me, the anticipate, the anticipate, again, words are hard, and that's my job. You got it. Um, Don't worry. The opposite, that's opposite. Mm-hmm. the opposite of rest is busyness. 
And we sometimes really try and keep ourselves busy so that we don't rest because when we sit in that rest is when a lot of growth starts to happen and we really start to realize what's going on and we have to go through the uncomfortable parts of life um, and, and be okay with who we are right now. Yeah, I mean, you're hitting the nail. The The idea, again, goes back to stillness and silence. The ability to sit and be with self to really clearly hear what's happening inside of you so you can get outside of yourself. And I love the um, the clear the list. Examine, this is what you say, examine why you are always busy. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that question to people alone, hey, why are you always busy? And then you start to matriculate. Jesus does these great things. Jesus asks questions. That's what he does. That's his framework. When he's teaching parables, he's teaching directly to the ego, but he's also questioning the heart's desire, the mind's desire, what the body's doing. So I, so I, I see as a spiritual movement, like you asking people, like I just think this is great. Why, why the hell are you so busy? And then having people run the list, you go, what are you running from or trying to mask with an overscheduled life? That question alone, right. if you sit with that, if you sit with that one question, like I, I sit with that, and it buckles you because you're like, oh shit, I am covering things up in my life with either scrolling Instagram or preparing mm-hmm. for the next child thing or I'm going to paint the house twice this year. <laughs> so, well, I think part of it, one, one, one reason why a lot of people are busy is because when they cross something off their list or they do something, they feel proud of themselves. Like they get that, that encouragement where they're, they're probably not getting that in other parts of their life. So they need that constant, Oh, I did a good job and pat themselves on, on the back by doing, 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 doing something. And, um, and, and without just realizing that you are enough in God, you're enough already. You're enough. You don't have to do this, do that. You're enough Yeah. without the busyness. I and mean, you know, what amazes me is, in COVID and in this pandemic that we're in, people are still somehow so freaking busy, right? <laughs> yeah. In yeah. our lack of doing anything, you are somehow filling things up and becoming and, and overscheduling yourself. Well, I mean, I don't know if you, there was an article, what, the last couple of weeks where it said businesses are actually rethinking people working from home because it's actually added it's actually added a load not only to the employees but to the employers. I started laughing out loud. I'm like I'm like when you're working at home, man, you should be kicking back a little. No. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. They're absolutely not. Mm-mm. All right, find your happy place, you say it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. When you said happy place, like I immediately, and I'll tell you, so you say it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It says, but find a location, a room, a destination that you can go to get out of your head. Figure out how you can get there more often. It will take some juggling, blah, 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 blah. It says, but your peace of mind, and when I say blah, 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 I'm not hitting the writing. I'm just saying blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I know. But your peace, I'm just, again, but your peace of mind is much more important. So I, I have happy places. I like, And I literally tell people this. Um, and I do it in two ways, and I love the way you break it down. Um, but it, it, it environment does become a factor for seeking stillness, peace, rest. It does. 
Uh, give people the give give people the practical for finding that place. What what's the thing there? Well, for me, again, there's lots of different places. It ha- I can't relax if like it's messy and there's kids running around, and so I'm not going to sit there in stillness and hear God if I'm like looking at the corner of my eye and I know that the dog poop has to be picked up and you know the dishes aren't done and that type of thing. So you have to get away from that. So. Just for me, my happy place is any place where I can see water, the beach, that type of thing. However, that's been hard. You can't always get away. You can't go on vacation. Um, I do try to go to my my in-laws' little cottage that has, you know, a a great little view. I'm away from my own house. Uh, Cell reception is bad, which is key because I can't necessarily get on the Internet and things like that. So that's, like, major happy place. But in my home, there are three. Like, I have a war room. I have a prayer room where it's, like, this closet with like there's scripture, my Bible, the lighting's great. It's comfortable. It never gets dirty because it's so small. So, so I go in there, I close the door and that's my place to talk to God during summer. There's a little place outside of my house, which is actually where I'm sitting right now. It's a comfortable chair. I can see the pool. Um, the kids don't come around cause they're inside doing something else. So you just have to figure out, you know, it has to be physically away. I think from, where you where you go and what you do day and day. Otherwise, you're gonna go back to that producing mentality of continually trying to do things. So it has to be away from that and a place that makes you happy and kind of speaks to your soul. All right, great. Listen, I'm done with you. Um... <laughs> done with you. <laughs> Uh, here's the book, everybody. Where's my crown for acting like everything is fine? Royally surviving life's waiting periods. Kirsten Linquist, author, television personality, great mother, great friend, great wife. Uh, you're you're fantastic. Where can people buy this book? Uh, pretty much anywhere books are sold. Although Amazon and Barnes and Noble are our um, are, are, are big cheerleaders, so I would I would support Amazon and Barnes and Noble. But if you have a local bookstore, you can ask them for it there as well. It's also available on um, Audible. And so you can listen to it and um, e-reader too. Um, and find me at kirsten.lindquist on Instagram and uh, Kirsten Lindquist author on Facebook. What was the first one? Kirsten.lindquist. What was that? Kirsten.lindquist on Instagram. That's kind of where I'm the most active. Yeah. That's where you'll see me all the time. Okay, great. Great. So li- listen to me. You... um. I mean, there's there's no doubt moms, women uh, are going to love this book, but I just want to make a play for the dudes, too, because there's, uh, there is really great wisdom um, that sits inside of this book, and there's practicality that sits with it, too. And like I say, I tend to beat on people that write spiritual books but don't you know keep it airy-fairy without telling us, hey, what the hell we're really supposed to do. Um, you're amazing. I appreciate you. Um, I thank you. Um, I'm always very humbled to have you in my life. I appreciate you spelling my name right in the book. Uh, I, I don't listen. I don't like the shots that you took at me in the book, but I'll deal with you later on those shots. (laughs) (laughs) I think you actually said what hair I have left. I might have said that. All right. Goodbye. I love you. Bye. I love you. Bye. See you. Bye. All right. Kirsten Linquist. Where's my crown for acting like everything is fine? Royally surviving life's waiting periods. 
Look, you can get it on Amazon. So go hit Amazon right now. Collect the book. Have it shipped over to you. Listen, you're not doing anything anyway in COVID, are you? Here's something to read. Thanks a lot, Kirsten, for your time. Next week on The Big Show, I have no clue what we're going to do, but it's going to be so freaking great. You're going to want to come back. Hey, do me a favor. Like and subscribe to this podcast, will you? Do a dude a favor. If you're looking for a place to put your money in a wonderful 501c3, a nonprofit that helps people, it's tabletopministries.online. We, we do spiritual direction for folks absolutely free for those who can't, can't afford the old uh, traditional counseling and uh, therapies. Look at man, it's a real need right now. The uncertainty people are dealing with, the ability to lock onto God, find love, find true self, find the value away from just people, places, and things. It's what we do, and we'd appreciate your help. Hey, I'm JR, JRMan.com, JRMAHON.com. I'm a spiritual director if you need me. My name, my number, my stuff is everywhere online. Call me, I'll actually pick up the phone. I love you, appreciate you being along on my passion. I'll talk to you next week, good people.